I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have a return guest on Dementia Matters, Dr. Sanjay Asthana. Dr. Asthana is the Dean of Gerontology at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the founding director of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Dr. Asthana is a world-renowned Alzheimer's disease researcher who has led dozens of Alzheimer's disease clinical trials here in Wisconsin. Dr. Asthana also sees patients with memory disorders at the UW Health Memory Clinic. Dr. Sana, welcome back to Dementia Matters. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Now, Dr. Sana, we like having you on the podcast because you have your finger on the pulse of the latest research findings and clinical trends in the dementia and memory care field. And the topic we want to talk about today, predicting risk for dementia in the doctor's visit, is something I hear my patients ask about often. And really one of those topics where clinical practice is changing. So why don't you explain the current tools we have as doctors that can help people understand their risk for Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that very important question. As you said, as uh, physicians, uh, we uh, see a lot of patients, and they really want to know, doctor, what what are the odds that I'm going to get uh, this disease or my children uh, chances of getting the disease? Uh, And I think this is very important given the fact that we now know that Alzheimer's, before we see the first symptom of the disease, it's about 20 or 30 years before that symptom that the disease actually had started in that person's brain. So we have a period of two or three decades uh, when if we know someone's risk, and if there are some effective treatments, that could be very helpful for the person and their family. So the estimation of risk is a very important area uh, currently um, for researchers and also for clinicians. Uh, In that area, uh, unfortunately at this point, we don't have a magic calculator or a magic way of estimating someone's risk. However, uh, there's some research that's ongoing uh, here in Madison as well and other parts of the country uh, where we can measure uh, certain, uh, we can perform some brain imaging tests, uh, some uh, genetic tests, some memory tests, and if we can take those findings together, to some degree we can estimate a risk uh, the Alzheimer's risk for someone. However, they're not foolproof at all, and there's a lot of research that needs to be done. So in your clinic, as well as mine, can you explain for our audience what are the key components of just our memory clinic and how we come to our determination? Yes, so um, as you know, we have a very special program here at University of Wisconsin uh, Hospital. Um, We have a very large research program, uh, and we have clinics every day of the week, morning and afternoon. So when the person comes to our clinic, um, most of these visits are quite long because we are very comprehensive and thorough. So uh, they are seen by a team of physician, um, a neuropsychologist, and a social worker. And each person obtains very important information, and then we combine that information and come to a diagnosis. Uh, so um, after the visit, at the visit, we go through detailed history of the person, their family history, what are their symptoms, 
and then we we uh, perform a very extensive uh, uh, memory test uh, battery, which takes uh, even to a normal person about more than an hour. So it's very very uh, comprehensive, and then those uh, results are shared with the team, and then the team goes, the physician goes and examines the person, and then uh, they discuss what the uh, diagnosis could be. Um, in some people, we may need more than that, and then they are sent either for PET brain scans or MRI brain scans, uh, and even some more special tests, including lumbar puncture and uh, electrical recording of the brain called EEG. So we can really uh, go from a very basic level of testing all the way to very sophisticated state-of-the-art tests, and they all can, they're all done here at University Hospital, and it really varies from person to person. So while we don't have the research tools in our clinic yet, we do have a fair amount of ways of looking at a person clinically and giving our best clinical judgment as to the cause of their symptoms. Very much so, and I think that, once again, is a major advancement in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, just to share that before all these advancements took place, uh, even at a very specialized center where they had experience in diagnosing people with Alzheimer's disease, their odds of making a wrong diagnosis were about 30%. And now, in these special centers, uh, the odds of making a wrong diagnosis are below 10%. Uh, so I think these advancements have really helped us diagnose correctly if someone has Alzheimer's disease or not. And the other thing you mentioned that uh, talking about risk prediction, which is very important, uh, that in the clinic, these tests that we do, some memory tests, uh, the brain imaging tests, uh, and in some cases, we can do some genetic tests. We're looking for, for genes like um, ApoE4 gene. And once we have all those results, uh, we actually can combine, do some analysis, and to some degree, we can predict even now the risk uh, for someone to get the disease, although, once again, it's not foolproof. And even if the risk is high, we know that many of those people will still not develop the disease. And that risk... Is, the, is my next question for you, because there are calculators available even now, and many studies actually looking into risk scores for people developing dementia. Yes. But this is different than providing a risk specifically for Alzheimer's disease. So if you could explain to our, our audience, you know, what is the difference between these risk scores and calculators? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so as you mentioned, the uh, and people know that... Um, Alzheimer's is the most common cause for dementia. There are many other diseases that can cause dementia, like Lewy body disease or frontotemporal dementia or Parkinson's disease. So the uh, risk score relates to risk for Alzheimer's disease, and then one can, at a different level, perhaps predict the risk for dementia. But we are very interested in risk specifically for Alzheimer's disease because our um, markers that we assess in a clinic are specific for Alzheimer's. Um, and I think um, the test that we do, to some degree, can help us predict um, what someone's odds are to get the disease right now. Now, one of the tools that you've mentioned, which we don't in general use in clinic, is genetic testing, specifically that APOE test. And we have a, a prior uh, interview on our podcast with Dr. Karine Engelman, who right. talks about APOE, and she really emphasized it's a susceptibility gene, which means it's not a guarantee that you develop Alzheimer's, but rather it increases your risk. So as a clinician, knowing that risk is important, 
particularly if it motivates you to make healthy changes. But if I don't have a specific targeted treatment, you know, it, I'm cautious to tell patients to go out and pursue this kind of testing. Uh, as what would it do for them? And so I, I'd like to hear from you, why don't we offer genetic testing right now? And, and do you see us doing that in the future? Yes, that's such an important question, uh, Nate, because I think uh, this test, as we know, this gene, the APOE gene, um, uh, after years and years and decades of research now, uh, it is one of the genes which has most um, uh, confirmatory evidence that if someone has the one form of this gene, called E4, just one copy, then the risk for getting Alzheimer's is increased about fourfold. If someone has two copies of the EPOE4 gene, their risk of getting Alzheimer's is increased ninefold. So we know that this is at least one of the most proven genes uh, that increases the risk for the disease. However, we also know that even people who have two copies of this gene, they still don't get Alzheimer's. So there's no uh, 100% risk of getting Alzheimer's even if someone has two copies of this gene. So if you do the test in the clinic um, and tell the person that you have the E4 gene, uh, there's still a decent chance if they resorted to healthy lifestyle and did all the other preventive measures that they will not get the disease. So by sharing the results, we may cause undue anxiety and stress for people, uh, which may not always be good. So we try and avoid um, that situation. I think in the future, yes, we will be able to come up with a collection of tests, which will certainly include, in my opinion, APOE4 gene, along with brain imaging findings and the cerebrospinal fluid findings and some other tests that may uh, come very close to um, to being definitive that if someone has those risk factors that they will get Alzheimer's. We are not there yet, but I think in the future there is a good chance that that will happen. And then in the research world where we are able to collect these proteins through spinal fluid or imaging, it seems to me that we would have the ability to put together a risk score for healthy people with Alzheimer's disease in that 20 to 30 years of not having symptoms. I agree with you. And I, predict when they might develop actual symptoms. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think that's the way the field is moving, um, and I think that's going to happen one day. And it will be so beneficial because my hope also is by then, in the next 10 or 15 years, there will be some very effective treatments that are going to come along. So if someone is young, uh, has a strong family history, and we know that they have some changes in their brain on the imaging scan, and, and CSF examination, that, and we know that the risk is high, we might be able to give them very effective treatments and either delay their risk of getting the disease or perhaps one day stop it. And we have to be careful when we start talking about these risk factors or predictive tools. And at our center, we're about to begin a disclosure study where we are going to discuss with some of our healthy research participants having only one of the proteins that we identify, right, and and really trying to understand what are the consequences, how what how do we improve the process of doing this, and so we're hoping to use this study really to help provide perspective before it's actually done, in a standardized research way as well as in a clinical way in one of our clinics. From your perspective, you know, what do we need to learn from studies like this 
so that we do this in the best way possible. Yeah. You know, uh, Ned, this is uh, one of the very unique studies that we are doing. And as you know, you are a key investigator uh, in that study. Um, and I'm really waiting for the results of those study. The reason being that um, they, at least so far, we don't know the best way of how to share the results um, of the abnormal test that we find on uh, pet brain imaging or the spinal fluid examination. Um, and your study is going to tell us really what the best way to share those, uh, those findings uh, with people and their families. Um, and there is no single best way. I think it really depends um, on the person's background, how prepared they are to hear the results, um, and also um, uh, we want to make sure that it does not cause um, undue anxiety or stress for the person. In the past, as you know, there are uh, some studies that have shown that, in fact, unlike what we physicians think that sharing this result can cause stress, in fact, the studies have revealed that most of the people and the patients and their families took it very well when they, we shared the results of APOE4 gene. Uh, so... Um, the answer, the best answer is not available yet as how to disclose the results. And I think your study will be a breakthrough study which will inform us um, here and across the country and beyond how best to share the results. Now, another point that is very important to mention is that we cannot create a one-solution-fits-all test. So, for instance, African Americans and American Indians are up to twice as likely to develop dementia as non-Hispanic whites. Women have a higher risk for dementia, and people of different socioeconomic statuses carry different risks for the disease. How are we ensuring our discoveries for risk prediction and early diagnosis will work for a diverse population? Yeah, another critical area for Alzheimer's disease, as you mentioned, that uh, populations like African-American, uh, Native Americans, um, Asians, we really don't know um, how this disease behaves in, that po- in those populations. How it, what are the actually major causes of this disease in those populations? So our center is the ADRC, the Wisconsin ADRC here at University of Wisconsin is one of very few centers in the country uh, that uh, uh, with expertise of people like Dr. Kerry Gleason and yourself and others are actually engaging the African-American and Native American populations in Wisconsin and doing uh, very unique research in those populations uh, and find out um, whether the disease progresses or differs um, in each population. When the results of those uh, studies are available, we will have a better informed um, um, idea of as to how the disease differs in these races and ethnicities. Does it really differ from a um, white population or not? Uh, my gut feeling is it certainly does. And when we have those results, I think we'll be able to inform those communities much better. And perhaps there may be some specific genes that we may discover that only relate to those populations than, uh, than other populations. And based on that, there may be new forms of treatment that may only apply to those populations. So research here at Wisconsin ADRC um, is highly likely to reveal some breakthrough findings in uh, um, uh, Alzheimer's disease um, in different races and ethnicities. Until that happens, um, I think we uh, 
we have to do the very best to uh, inform the population and also convey to them the best ways to reduce the risk while we are doing more research. One of the things that I've learned from our center is that we really need people from all walks of life to volunteer for research. But people Very are true. they're busy, and, and it's a difficult thing to do. And so one of the things that I'm appreciative of our group is that we've gone into the community. And I know other centers around the country do that as well. It's right. so important to meet people where they are and still provide education and reassurance, but have them come to our center so that we can conduct these studies. Very much so. And I think these um, outreach community activities from, uh, once again, people like yourself and other people in our center are so important for us to inform those populations as to what's going on here, um, inform them about the disease. Uh, if there are any misconceptions, then we help them get rid of those misconceptions. And I must say that uh, I'm so... Uh, excited um, and driven by the fact that those communities have shown so much of interest in being a part of the Wisconsin ADRC uh, research and in large numbers they are coming to our center and enrolling uh, in our studies. Having said that, we need many more participants from those communities uh, to come to the center, contribute to the research, because the returns will be best for them. Um, clearly, the feeling is that the disease differs uh, between different races and ethnicities. The more we learn, the better application we'll have for those populations. So the uh, returns are both ways uh, for the Wisconsin ADRC. We learned so much more about Alzheimer's in minority communities, and in return, uh, people um, uh, of different races and ethnicities will learn more about disease in them and perhaps different ways of treatments. And I think the ultimate goal would be for doctors to have a simple, low-cost test, maybe like a blood test or a pen and paper cognitive test that can predict the risk for developing dementia. Something like a blood pressure reading or a cholesterol test that can tell us if a person shows risk for Alzheimer's disease. How close do you think we are to something like that? Yeah, you know, this is another area of research where we are involved in many of the centers in the country. So the blood-based biomarkers, we call them, um, is uh, advancing rapidly. In fact, there are some tests that are being uh, uh, developed which uh, just measuring those abnormal proteins, amyloid and tau protein, in the blood, and we calculate that ratio. And there's increasing evidence that just doing that simple blood test uh, can uh, in some way depict the, the uh, presence of amyloid in the brain. So we don't need the costly PET scans anymore one day, or even doing a lumbar puncture because the blood test may help us or tell us whether there's abnormal protein in the brain or not. I think they will, they'll be very important. They'll be scalable. They will be low cost. They could be done literally in every, just about every lab uh, where blood can be drawn when those techniques are widely available. I think it will be a major breakthrough, and we are moving rapidly in that area as to diagnose, if not diagnose, at least estimate the risk of Alzheimer's disease uh, by doing doing these simple uh, blood tests. Whether it will diagnose the disease, I think um, some more work needs to be done. And again, knowing risk is important if it helps motivate you to make healthy lifestyle changes or changes that are needed to prevent the yes. development of dementia. So in closing, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked most of my guests, which is what do you do in your personal life to help reduce your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease? 
Yeah, thanks, Nate. Uh, you know, that reminds me I need to lead much more uh, healthier life than I do right now. But as you know, my own father had the disease and he died from Alzheimer's disease. So my own risk just um, through my family history is high. What I've been doing uh, for the past many years is uh, what we, we, we preach everyone. That is, um, I do regular exercise a few times a week. Um, I do watch my diet. Um, I uh, control my blood pressure if that needs to be. Um, and I screen myself for other medical diseases that can cause Alzheimer's disease. Um, and um, really try and have good sleep. We know that poor sleep uh, can increase the risk for Alzheimer's disease. So healthy lifestyle, healthy diet. Um, and um, I try and stay informed about what is, what is the latest going on in the field so that I could use those uh, strategies and reduce my risk. Well, that's wonderful. I think that's a very complete answer for our audience. So I'd like to thank you again for being on our show, and I anticipate we'll have you on in the future. Thank you. It's really a pleasure talking to you and being a part of these shows. They are so successful and so important uh, for, for the public and for the center as well. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private, university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Abishir Adin. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.